Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for your incredible grace. Thank you, Lord, for the baptism of Kelly. Thank you, Jesus, that all of heaven is looking down upon her. But God, I know that all of heaven is looking down upon every person here as well. And decisions are being weighed in the balance. God, we want to give this time to you and ask that you would bless us with the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We pray that in our weakness, your strength would be made perfect. God, we need a message that will inspire us and give us that heavenly current. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is going to be a Bible study sermon. You would think that those two words are not uh, separable, but they are. But this sermon is going to be a Bible study sermon. So make sure you have your Bible out. It will be used today. I also want to let you know that this is an extremely busy time. There is much going on. And this is the time that God really wants us to be seeking first His kingdom. Can you say amen to that? One of the things that we have gone forward with is the showing of the Hell and Mr. Fudge movie. We talked about that, and I'll show the trailer in just a minute again. But we're going to be having two showings of this movie. And the movie is describing a man's journey, a lawyer who was contracted to study out the subject of hell. Now, you may not think that's important, being a Seventh-day Adventist, because of what you know. But I will let you know, it has caused more people to be skeptics of God than any other false teaching. That's why it's extremely important that we take any avenue, sanctified avenue, and let this message be proclaimed all over the world. Can you say amen to that? So two, two slots have been opened up for us at the Modesto State Theater. If you look in your bulletin, you'll find that. And that is next Saturday night, the 26th at 7 o'clock, we'll be showing the movie, and it's free. Please bring people out to this. It is completely useless just to have Seventh-day Adventists in this theater. We need non-Adventists into this theater. Amen? So please invite your friends and family. The movie is done in a very um, excellent way. It's done with quality and there's some humor in there as well. The second showing will be the 31st, which will be a Thursday night. And that is the next week. For the many of the ladies who are going to be gone this coming weekend, don't worry, you get a second shot. Amen? And if that fails, talk to your husbands. I can't do anything after that moment. Okay? But I'm going to be showing this trailer to you. And after this trailer, I'm going to share two interesting experiences that happened this week. And so here is the trailer. Well... I was approached by a Canadian fellow named Robert Smead, and uh, he's been consumed with this whole idea of hell. Well, this, this fellow had read some of my articles and, and offered to pay me a little money to study the subject, so that is what I'm prepared to do. Well, I think the death of that Hollis boy really changed him. It made him question things maybe he hadn't thought about. Is he in hell? Is Davey in hell? You see, when you have a friend and then suddenly he's gone, and you're told he's burning forever in hell, that would change you. That would change anybody. 
Now, Edward, you realize you're attacking the very foundation of Christian religion. Folks are partial to the truth that they've already got. What's a kid doing burning forever in hell? Would a loving God really do that? <laughs> I found a missing piece of the puzzle. It is, it is so simple, I can't believe I missed it. I mean, we have all missed it. Gospel is not about building up walls to keep people out. It's about breaking down walls to invite people in. <laughs> you keep telling them that, Mr. Fudge. Make it your own. This Fudge character is out of control, and I, for one, want him stopped. Edward, can he do that? What do you want to do? Ignore him? I want to take them all. I think we need to send a message loud and clear to all the Edward Fudges of the world that we are not about to let his lies and distortions go unchallenged. Mr. Holloway says I have my own gospel, but he is mistaken. I don't have my own gospel, and I certainly don't have some corner on truth. Edward Fudge, A Dangerous Voice in Troubled Times by Don Holloway. I just go ahead and get right to the point. Edward, uh, we feel that now might be a good time for a change. You're firing me? Nothing but a luncheon, pure and simple. Well, I see that our guest has arrived, so we might as well get started. You know, if I had a couple of slices of bread and some mayonnaise, I could make a sandwich with all the bologna here tonight. What would your father say? His father is my husband. To be tearing down the very church he loved and everything it stood for. How dare you! No, it's really hard to see you like this. You just wait until all of evangelical Christendom shows up at your doorstep, ready for some some serious grilling. You are something, Mr. Fudge. You don't have to solve every mystery. Not by yourself, anyway. Amen. Can you say amen to that, church family? And uh, I give this movie trailer two thumbs up. So... But this is going to be a special time, and I've talked to several different people. In fact, I also had the Bob Workers hit up MJC campus, and they had some very interesting experiences. So really quickly, I'm going to call up uh, Greg. Maybe you can come up here, and Lily, if you want to come up here really quickly. Uh, they were able to pass it out to some people, and some of the people that they passed it out is going to be very, might interest you, all right? So Greg, why don't you tell us what happened with your uh, encounter when you were passing out flyers for the Helen Mr. Fudge And uh, we handed the flyer to him. Can you hear me? Put the mic to your mic. Uh, so we met this, uh, this gentleman named Dante. And uh, as I handed the flyer to him and, and just said, hey, check it out. It's a free movie at the State Theater. He started walking away. And about two steps later, he stops, freezes, looks at it, and turns around. And says, hey, what is, what is this about? And uh, <laughs> sorry about that. It's okay. And so he turns back, and we start talking to him. He says, wait, is this, is this Christian? 
And um, he's like, there's so many bad movies going on, and, you know, you got to be careful about what you watch. We explained what it was going to be about, and he says, you know what? It's interesting. I'm actually um, a youth pastor, and I've been looking for good things for my, my youth group to be able to go and be a part of. He's like, I think this is really going to get them thinking. Um, we're going to be there with my whole, my whole youth group. Amen. My experience was also... Hold the mic to your face. My experience was also at MJC. Um, There was this professor that walked out. I didn't think he was a professor because he didn't really dress professionally, but it's okay. So judgmental. (laughs) But I asked him, hey, are you a professor? Because I noticed that he carried a briefcase. And he's like, yeah, I am. I actually teach history. I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then he said, hey... And then I told him, hey, where... um, uh, Modesto State Theater is doing a free movie on, um, on Hell and Mr. Fudge. Sorry. And he's like, oh, this is very interesting. You know, I usually um, have a clipboard with different events, and I pass it to students, and they pick which events they want to go to and write a report on it for 25 points. And so he took a few, and he's going to hand them out to his students, and they can write reports on it. So praise the Lord for that. Amen. For some of them in the people in the back who maybe not have heard what she said, Uh, she was able to pass out a flyer to a teacher who said that he would be willing to show this to his students for extra credit points. Amen? Folks, a lot of people are interested in this. And they're waiting for somebody to invite them. And you know who God is choosing to invite these people? He's not sending angels. He's sending you. Amen? And so that's why it's extremely important that we get this flyer and there'll be postcards in the lobby that you can hand it to your friend, your neighbor, and say, hey, there's a free movie movie, and love to have you come with me and we'll just check it out and it'll be pretty interesting. I guarantee God is going to do some special things. Amen? And this is all in preparation for our evangelistic series that is coming up. So much is taking place and God wants us to be ready for these times. Amen? All right, we're going to start with our sermon today. And it's called Powerful Secrets in the Book of Genesis. Powerful Secrets in the Book of Genesis. Now what's so interesting about the Book of Genesis, the Book of Genesis is about origins. Origins about man. Origins about the fall of man. Origins about the deterioration of this planet. Origins about redemption. And the plan of salvation. So the book of Genesis is so foundational to us as Bible-believing Christians. Can you say amen to that? Now everybody take your Bible. I want you to go to the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And I want to make a statement, and here is my statement. I believe that Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is the most widely read Bible verse. When people pick up the Bible, whether they're skeptics or rather they're Bible-believing Christians, they generally will turn to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and they will turn to the very first verse. I want you to see what the very first verse of the Bible is. In the what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the what? Earth. And this is so powerful, because when you pick up the Bible and you read this very first verse, the Bible doesn't seek simply to prove God's existence, it simply declares God's existence. In fact, when God is introduced, the very first picture of God is introduced in the Bible, he is introduced as the creator of all existence. Can you say amen to that? 
But he's not only introduced as the creator of all existence, he's also introduced as the uncreated creator. The one who existed before all of creation. And this is the very first picture that is given to us about God. He is the one that has existed before all things. And so when we pick up the Bible and we are looking at the very first verse, we are introduced to the one who is the source of all life. Can you say amen to that? I was reading this article about a conference that took place several years ago, and it took place at John Hopkins University. Anybody know, who knows something about John Hopkins University knows that it is a prestigious university where cutting-edge science is taking place, or what we call science. And they will have at this university PhD studies on genetics. They will have PhD studies on cloning, PhD studies on stem cell research. What you find at John Hopkins University is something that can be very controversial in the world. And so John Hopkins is a place, the epicenter, where a lot of you can say cutting-edge, supposedly cutting-edge science is taking place. There was a conference done at this place, and the conference was entitled, What Does It Mean to Be Human? And they had various discussion, dis, uh, uh, speakers or lecturers from different backgrounds who were bringing up various topics, people talking about God, people talking about human worth, people talking about what does it mean to be a human. Different atheists were speaking at this convocation and they were talking about humanity and the origins of humanity and where we come from. In other words, from the goo to the zoo to you. So they were talking about various things. Well, Francis Collins, who is the director of the Human Genome Project, many years spent mapping the human genome system, he went up and everybody was just excited about hearing his research about what's been done with this project that's been going on for many years and many money, much dollars have gone into the research. And he goes up and he begins to speak about the intricacies of the human body, specifically DNA. And he does something so remarkable. He shows a picture of Yorkshire Cathedral, a picture of a stained glass window. And it was one of the most exquisite stained glass windows that were there. And then he takes a section of DNA that had been cut and he shows a picture of it. And when people were seeing this, there was pin drop silence. Pin drop silence. They were blown away about how much more beautiful and intricate and designed was this DNA structure. And he, what he does... In the middle of this silence, he says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there was silence. Can you say amen to that? Folks, we need to understand origins. Amen? It's extremely important to us to understand where we come from. Now, I know we can get into so many different topics when it comes to science, but we're not going to be getting into so much topics. We're going to be getting into some powerful things in the Word of God that will help us to realize more about where we come from. 
All right, so everybody take your Bible, go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. One more time. And we're going to start going through this rapid fire. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. We are introduced again, I just want to repeat that one more time, as God being the uncreated creator. Can you say amen to that? God is the uncreated creator. He is the source of all life. This is the very first picture, the very first mention of God. This is what is given to us about who God is, his image. And so what we, what we read in Genesis chapter 1 is God begins this process of creating this planet. Okay? And so he begins to set out various systems. He creates various systems on certain days. Now I want you to notice something, a pattern phrase that continually comes up in chapter 1. Read verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to what? It's kind. Now, what's so remarkable about this is that this is when God begins the creation of organic material. And so as he, in the middle of the week, he begins this process of creating organic material, the Bible gives us a very interesting phrase that says, he created according to what? It's kind. Now, that word kind, if you look up into like a concordance, it'll say species. So in other words, when God was creating, he was creating in things in multiples, in groups, in categories. Well, let's find out more. Whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. Verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed, according to what? It's kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself, according to what? It's kind. Okay, now I want you to go to verse 20. This is on the fifth day. And then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God is creating now birds. He's now also creating fishes. I want you to notice something. Verse 21. So God created great sea creatures, and every living thing that moves with with which the waters abounded according to what? Their kind. And every winged bird according to what? Its kind. And God saw that it was good. Again, we see the same phrase continually appear, and it's intentional. And you're going to discover why. So God begins to create birds in multiples. And it says he created them according to its kind. And there was multiples of birds. And then he looked out into the waters and he said, let there be fishes according to its kind. And there was multiples of fishes, categories, groups of fishes. Now I want you to see something else. Go all the way to verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to what? Its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth, each according to what? It's kind. So again, here God is creating things in multiples. He's creating organic life in multiples, plants in multiples. He's creating birds in multiples. He is creating fishes in groups. School of fishes. And then he's creating animals in groups as well. So what he is creating, it's extremely important. Don't miss this point. He is creating things not as one. He is creating things in multiples, in groups. Now, why is that extremely important, and why is the Bible continually laying this out? Because of what he says in verse 26, or verse 24. Then God said, excuse me, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in, what? Our image, according to what? 
Now, this is what's so amazing. When God creates man, he groups man with himself. Let that sink in. Like, he is intentionally grouping man in his category. And this should blow your mind away. Because every time he was creating, it was according to its kind, according to its species. But then he said, let us make man in our image, like us. Folks, do you realize why the book of Genesis is so important? Because it's about your special origins. And there is nothing more than Satan wants than to hide the heritage that you have as the human race. That should blow your mind away. That God, when he was creating mankind, he was saying, look, I want something that's in my group. He even uses plural words because he's trying to help us understand that mankind, he's with us. He's in our team. He's in our category. And so he essentially does this to help us to understand something. Moses is writing under the inspiration of God. This is trying to help us understand, to understand something about the human race. That God has placed a special imprint in the human species. Can you say amen to that? You do not come from goo. Amen? Oh, come on. There should be a louder amen than that. You do not come from monkeys. Oh, man. This this blew my mind away because I I really sense as this topic was coming up more and more, God was saying, look, you guys are special. Now, I know sin has defaced much of the image of God, but folks, God wants us to understand what could be his, what could be ours again through his redemption. Can you say amen to that? And so God, again, is helping humanity to understand this concept. And like what Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets, Prophets is so powerful. She says this. Men want to so remove the sovereignty of God that they will degrade humanity into humanity's origins to that of being mollusk, invertebrates in the sea. And the intention is to get God out of the picture. Folks, this should be super important for us to understand because God wants us to realize you have a very special past. Your forefather Adam was created in the image, in the picture of God. In fact, I follow a quotation where Ellen White even says this. She says that the plan to create man was in existence prior to the fall. In other words, God did not create mankind for the fall or because of the fall, that God had a special purpose for mankind prior to the fall, and time will begin to unfold this purpose more and more. And as we continue into trillions and trillions and trillions of years, into all of eternity, the beautiful purposes that God has for mankind will be continually unfolded. God has created and put in mankind. I don't think you guys are getting this. Let me say this one more time. Mankind was created in the image of the uncreated one. Do you get that? Mankind was created 
in the image of the uncreated creator. This is why God wants us to see each other as family. You know, one of the reasons why I had a difficult time, I used to be into a lot of violent sports. Now I just play basketball. Although some may contend that point too. Because God began to really convict me that as men are pummeling each other, they're pummeling the face of somebody who Jesus died for. Let's go to another point. Do you know there are three very special blessings in the first week of creation? Let me point this out to you. Take your Bible, go to Genesis, and I want you to see something very remarkable. Go to Genesis chapter 11, chapter 1, verse 11. Now we're looking at the third day. I want you to see something very interesting. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, that it was so. So when God created this plant life, this organic material, he says, you're going to be doing this, and it just took place. There was no need for another command. But I want you to see something very interesting. Go all the way to verse 20. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, above the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, which with the waters abounded according to their kind, every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God, now watch this, he blessed them. Here we see the very first blessing in the book of the first week of creation. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and what? Fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So God's blessing is, now pay attention to this, is connected to God taking something that was empty or void and filling it with something. Okay, now I want you to see the second blessing. Go to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God, what's that next word? Bless them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. By the way, was Adam alone when God told him to do this? Yes or no? Was Adam alone when God told him to be fruitful and multiply? Are you sure? Yeah, how was Adam supposed to reproduce by himself? Did you guys miss that? I hope you didn't. Okay? Now pay attention to what God says to Adam and Eve. So God said to them, be fruitful and multiply... Fill the what? Earth. Now I want you to see that second point. So God told the birds and the fishes, he says, take this this space of water and fishes, you multiply it, fill in it. The key word is the word fill. And then he tells the birds in the sky, take this empty sky and you birds fill fill it. And then he says to the earth, or tells to uh, mankind, he says to mankind, he's like, all right, mankind, take this earth, this dry land that's empty, and what's that next word? Fill. Now watch, I want you to see the third blessing. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 1. This is the third blessing in the creation week. And then the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. So what did God do on the seventh day? He what? On the sixth day, at the end of it, he ended his work. Now watch what happens. And rested on the what? Seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified. Now pay attention. Because in what? In? In it. 
He rested from all his work which God had created and made. You know what the third blessing is? God takes empty time and he fills it with what? His presence. Do you see that? The three blessings in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are always tied into God taking something empty or void and filling it with something. He did it with the fishes, the birds. He did it with humanity. And now God is saying, look, I am blessing this day because I have taken this day and I have rested in it. I have stopped what I am doing and I'm spending time with you. You know when I realized this? It was last Saturday when the Sabbath was ending. And it dawned on me. You know what makes the Sabbath so special? Because it is a day that is completely consecrated by his presence in a full way, in a fullness. Like this day is touched and made holy because God himself has stepped in it and he says, my presence is specially stronger on this day. And it dawned on me when the Sabbath was over. I said, Lord, I know you're with me, but this day that just went, the Sabbath, This was a special day. Folks, you know why I'm so, I'm so on your case many times about biblical Sabbath observance? Because anytime a new person comes in here, their standard of Sabbath observance is always based upon the standard of Sabbath observance in the church. Do you realize that? In other words, when new people are coming in, the metal is still hot. It can be molded. But as the metal begins to cool, it's usually based upon the context. And so when they're seeing lack Sabbath observance, what is going to be in them? Lacks Sabbath observance. Now you're saying to me, Anel, don't tell me behavior determines my salvation. But I will tell you salvation does determine your behavior. You know I'm right. Folks, we ought to be a saved people. Amen? And a saved people is going to be heavenly. Amen? And in heaven, they're going to be keeping the Sabbath. And so it's super important that as we're keeping the Sabbath, we're seeking more and more of what God wants and not what we want. Can you say amen to that? Because this day is so special. God himself has filled it with his presence. He has filled it with his presence. And this is why we are called Seventh-day Adventists. Because we believe that the Seventh-day Sabbath is special to God. Can you say amen to that? Now I want you to notice something else about the book of Genesis. Take your Bible. And I want you to go to verse, chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. Are we all there? Now, a lot of single people will study out this story because it's the story of Adam and how he met Eve. Amen, single people? They're embarrassed. Okay. Let's see what happens in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when God is creating a special place and special work for Adam. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be what? Alone. Okay. I will make a what? A 
helper comparable to him. Now watch verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper. What's that next word? Comparable to him. Okay, when you use the word found, is it past, present, or future tense? I thought Adventist education was top notch. (laughs) When something was not found, in the context, it's past, right? Notice this. Thank you. Notice this. He is, he was looking through all the animals, and the Bible says, and there was not found a helper comparable to him, which implies there was some type of finding or an attempt at finding, right? And that's why there was nothing Found. Okay, praise the Lord. We made it past the third grade. Okay. So, okay. Now I want you to see something. Don't miss this point. Okay? So here, Adam, God places in Adam a desire. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. And apparently Adam was aware of this. And as Adam began to say, okay, this is obviously not part of God's complete plan. There's probably more to this. And so he's looking around, waiting for, you know, the giraffes to come out and, you know... He sees Mr. Giraffe and Mrs. Giraffe. He looks around, sees Mr. Zebra, Mrs. Zebra. And he's looking, and he doesn't see Mrs. Adam. And he's looking around. And he's looking around. He says, oh, man, this is not happening. But notice something. This is extremely important. What did God say he would make for Adam? Now, I want you to read for me your translation. What does your translation say? What did God say he would make for Adam? Okay, Elias, what does yours say? A helper suitable. Okay, what else? A helper who's right for... What version is that? New Living Translation. Okay, anybody got any different versions? Help me. Okay, good. What else? Companion. Okay. Comparable to him. Okay, very good. Now, every time I would read this, I would think to myself, oh yes, Adam is busy... He needs somebody who's going to help clean the dishes for him. I mean, what does a help meet mean? Right? No, I mean, think of those words, help meet. You know as well as I do, there is a feeling, there is a feeling of someone simply being a maid. And that's where the English completely slaughters it. I began a study of this word this week. Don't come to any assumptions about this, about me. But I came to a study of this word this week. And let me tell you something. This word appears once, obviously right here, or twice right here in Genesis chapter 2. But do you know it appears 19 other times? Fifteen of those times is always describing when Israel is in trouble and God has to send his rescuing help. Three other times it's describing when Israel was searching for military aid. This doesn't sound like a butler. 
Folks, do you realize what God was making for Adam? Something powerful. Can you say amen to that? The reason I'm bringing this up because I want you women to understand as well as you men. Your purpose was not simply to wash dishes. Can you say amen to that? You were to be a powerful, rescuing help to mankind. Amen. Uh, The women should be saying louder amens than this. Maybe you like what society thinks about you. But it was not this way from the beginning, as Jesus would say. Can you say amen to that? When women were created, it was for the purpose of being a powerful, rescuing help. Can you say amen to that? Oh. Folks, don't come to any conclusions about what you think I might be saying. I want you to pay attention to only what I am saying. Okay? And you can come to your own conclusions, but don't think what a... What, well, I, I think I know what Anel might... Don't, don't think that way. But I want you to understand something. We are rediscovering origins. And the origin of woman, the purpose of why God created her, the primary was to be a powerful, rescuing help to Adam. Can you say amen to that? In what context? Specifically, in the work of God, which includes your family. Amen? Which includes your whole life, your ministry. I'll tell you this, the most powerful couples I will see, the most successful couples I will see are those who are always ministering together in love and in peace and in evangelism. Can you say amen to that? Those are the most powerful couples because they have rediscovered the original purposes of their union. Can you say amen to that? Now, we're going to discover a few more things and then we're going to close this sermon. I want you to see something. Take your Bible and go back to Genesis chapter 2. I want you to see something that happens. Something quite strange. Verse 21. Let's see what happens to Adam. And the Lord God caused a what? A deep sleep to fall on who? Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in its place. Now, so at, at the moment of greatest desire for Adam, what happened to him? God touched him and he was out cold. By the way, this word deep sleep is a word that appears throughout the Old Testament. In fact, you'll find it in the book of Proverbs and it says slothfulness leads to deep sleep. This word, I'm looking at what some Hebrew translators were saying about this word. It's not describing a natural kind of sleep where someone is just, oh, I'm just tired. I feel like taking a nap. Ate a good potluck. I feel like taking a nap. It's not describing that. This word is actually describing almost like a coma-like sleep. Now, do you think this was natural for Adam, yes or no? He was just created that day. I mean, he was working. And, and, but it, and he was created at the apex of human vitality. This was not natural for him to go into a coma-like sleep. But here God touches him. You know what's so interesting? I, I, I broke my back about almost eight years ago. 
And I've never had this happen, but it happened. I was like in so much pain, I couldn't concentrate, it was all cloudy. And they take me to the hospital, and you know, they make me wait in the waiting room. And you know, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I may be paralyzed. And so they finally laid me down on the bed, and they were talking to me, and I could barely answer the questions. And they said, we're going to need to give him some medication. And so I was like opening up, and my friends were saying something. It just sounded like trumpet sounds, like Charlie Brown, brum, 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 brum. you know, that's what it sounded like. And so as I was hearing this, I was just there, and I was laying, and then all of a sudden, one of the doctors walks up to me, and he goes inside my arm, and he injects me with something called morphine. You know what that is. Immediately, my eyes opened up, because I do not like to be put to sleep. I like to fall asleep naturally. Okay? So as they put, he was injecting me with this stuff, immediately I, I opened my eyes, and I was like, what are you putting in my arm? And he says, we're putting something up to take away the pain. And I said, is this going to make me fall asleep? He said, yeah. And instantly this heaviness just began to come upon me, and my friend was right there and said, you better keep an eye on me. Better keep an eye on me. No joke. I do not like to be put to sleep. And as I was, being, I was just feeling this heaviness come upon me, I was telling my friend, just stay nearby. Make sure you know what's going on. I don't be careful about any operations that take place. I just, I just remember I was just shutting down. Shutting down. Shutting down. Now what's my point? I don't know if Adam was struggling when God was putting him into a deep coma-like sleep, okay? I'm not saying that. But I want you to pay attention to something. When he is put into that sleep, God does, uh, does some surgery. You know what the surgery is? He takes rib, he takes a rib, and he pulls it out, and from this rib, he builds Eve. Can you say amen to that? But what's so interesting is that word, rib, is found in another place. It's found when Jacob is struggling with God. And there's a struggling that takes place there. And the Bible says that Jacob is touched on the side, and immediately he starts going down. After that moment, there's a realization of who he's wrestling with. Do you know you find the same word rib but in Greek in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospel of John? When Jesus is on the cross, they want to know if he's dead. He had been praying and he had been struggling for the salvation of mankind. But they want to know if he's dead. And so here he is, he's on the cross, and he dies. At that moment when he cried out, God, where are you? He cries out, it is finished, and he dies. And the soldier goes later on and says, I wonder if he's dead. And pokes him in the side. You look in the Greek concordance, it says rib. What's my point? The point is this. One thing you will find in the life of Adam, in the life of Jacob, in the life of Jesus that at the moment of greatest desire, they wrestled with God. The second thing you will find is that when Adam, after his rib was taken, he was now in union with Eve. Do you know after that encounter with God, Jacob, that struggle led to his reunion with Jacob? And do you know when Jesus' side was touched, it led to his God's reconciliation with man. Folks, sacrifice is always part of union. It's always part of union. The God of the universe sacrificed to unify mankind and God once again. Can you say amen to that? And here's the last point right here. Read what Ellen White says right here. It's so powerful. The Garden of Eden 
with this foul blood of disobedience is to be carefully studied and compared with the garden of what? Gethsemane, where the world's redeemer suffered superhuman agony when the sins of the whole world were rolled upon him. Now pay attention to what she is saying. She's actually giving advice to the Bible student. This is somebody under the inspiration of God. She is saying, look, you take the Garden of Gethsemane and you compare it to the Garden of Eden because there is some comparisons, some parallels that are necessary for us to understand that mean the world to us. And this is the last thought that we are going to dwell upon. Now when you think about this, wait a minute, what does the Garden of Gethsemane have to do with the Garden of Eden. So much. Because when you look at the Garden, you look at the Garden of Eden, you will find man, because of his disobedience, many were made sinners. You will find in the Garden of Gethsemane, where man, because of his obedience, many were made righteousness. Can you say amen to that? You will find in the Garden of Eden, where mankind was at the zenith of human vitality, and he fell. You will find at the Garden of Gethsemane, where mankind was at the bottom of the barrel 4,000 years of sin. Yet the second Adam was faithful. You will find in the Garden of Eden, the fate of humanity was there. You will find in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was struggling. The fate of humanity was there. You will find in the Garden of Eden the curse that came upon humanity. You will find in the Garden of Gethsemane the man who became the curse for us. You will find the first Adam who partook of that tree that led to the fall of humanity, and you will learn of the second Adam at the Garden of Gethsemane, who partook of that tree that led to the redemption of humanity. You will learn in the Garden of Eden about thorns and thistles that would grow as a result of the curse. And then you would read in the Garden of Gethsemane about the second Adam, Jesus, who wore those thorns and thistles. You will learn in the Garden of Eden about sweat that would result as a, as the part of a, or as a result of sin that would take place because of toil. And then you will learn about the world's redeemer who in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, great drops of blood were sweated out as he was toiling for mankind. And then you will learn about in the Garden of Eden how when Adam and Eve were kicked out, they were clothed with the garments of righteousness but then when you look at the garden of Gethsemane you will learn about Jesus who was stripped of his garments you will look at the garden of Gethsemane or the garden of Eden and you will learn about how mercy came down and God said to mankind where are you and then you will learn in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus looked up to God and said where are you Folks, I want you to understand something. The reason why we will be reintroduced to the Garden of Eden restored is because there was a Garden of Gethsemane between this. Between the first Eden and Eden restored. The Garden of Gethsemane is the bridge. 
and no man can get back to Eden unless they go through Gethsemane and accept the righteousness that Christ has for you. It is the purpose of God in the plan of redemption to restore in mankind the image of God that was lost through sin. This is God's purpose for you, and he will not be defeated in this. Can you say amen to that? Folks, you have a very special heritage, a special origin, and God wants to restore that even greater. Think of a story of a painter who painted this beautiful picture one day, and he wasn't done with it, but he was painting, he spent so much time with this painting Details were added. He had people look at it. And he said, I'm not finished with this painting, but it's, I got so much. You can see the picture develop me. But one day, he went to sleep, and his child came down the stairs, saw this painting, looked at the painting, and decided to take the paintbrush and make another picture. The father comes down and sees the painting destroyed. That moment you would expect this father who had so much, so much on this thing, so much going for this painting, to turn to his son in anger. But instead, he takes the paintbrush and begins to paint a new picture, even more beautiful than what he had previously started with. Folks, what God is doing with the plan of redemption, he is restoring not what was lost, but much more. Much more. This is why the cross, the Garden of Gethsemane, is everything to us. And there are other people who need to know this. Amen? Church family, there's no special appeal. I want you to bow your heads right now and pray with me. Father in heaven, we know you created us for much more than this. And Lord, many times we have forgot about where we come from and what the future holds and we forget, Lord, what's in store. And we get trapped in this world. But Jesus, you call us to remember. Remember the past. So that we know we have a future with you. Father in heaven, I pray that every person would go out knowing that the creator, the uncreated creator, loves them with an everlasting love. May they go out knowing that they matter to you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.